today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers can back at the station. Keeping the Scott Thompson Show between the pipes. Feel free to jump into the conversation. Lots of ways to do that through the website. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open. Facebook and Twitter as well. You'll find the podcast edition of the commentary waiting for you on social media. Uh, let's talk about what's going on south of the border and bring in Elliot Tepper, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. He is with us now. Elliot, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Um, thank you very much. And I the same back at you. And I hope everybody listening as well, staying home, let's, staying uh, safe. Uh, uh, yeah, I hear you. That's what we're doing, Elliot. And have, by the way, this is uh, week number 47 of the Scott Thompson Home Show. Uh, anyway, w- what happens when we hit 52? I guess, do we have some sort of celebration? I don't know. I don't know if celebration's the word, but yeah, yeah good, commemoration. Good point. Yeah, good point. Uh, Elliot, I, I just want to talk about vaccines for, vaccines for a, a, a split second on the worldwide stage. Uh, we're certainly hearing lots of chatter about how well United Arab Emirates are doing, Israel has been doing. Where are those vaccines coming from? Do we know? Well, I guess the broader issue here is vaccine nationalism, and that's got a, two sides to it. I'll, I'll come directly to Israel in a sec, but the, the bigger geopolitical issue here and the the big story of our time, the pandemic, that is the big story of our time, is, is it's stimulating vaccine nationalism, and that's in two senses. One is that states are now vying with each other. Uh, we, Canada, you know, we have enough, and this is being pointed out, by the way, we have enough vaccines on order to vaccinate our country several times over, as does most other uh, advanced states, whereas if you don't have that uh, that pandemic under control elsewhere in the world where they don't have this kind of protection, not that we actually have it yet ourselves. Uh, so the vaccine nationalism is, is very much in play there, but also more broadly, states are now using their possession of vaccines as an instrument of state advancement of state power. Uh, China has their own um, particular vaccine and they're supplying it in a, several places in, around the world, starting with Africa. They are using it in Latin America they're showing up saying we're here to help uh, just in time. And the same is true of Russia. They have Sputnik V. They have their own, and they're, they're using it that way. Uh, the question on Israel uh, that you mentioned, Israel is the number one country in the world right now in terms of vaccinations per capita. And the, where did they get theirs? They got theirs from Pfizer, same as us and everybody else, mm-hmm. except they went early to Pfizer and made a deal saying, uh, yes, you be sure we have everything we need, and... In turn, we will get you all the data that we can gather on the effectiveness and so forth of your vaccination. And Pfizer thought that was a good deal. So they have been providing what's necessary. And, of course, Israel is quite used to mass mobilization. Uh, They face threats all the time, so they're quite efficient. Hmm. All right, let's uh, move out of the vaccine sphere and into into the world of Donald Trump. Um, but before we get it to his lawyers, the new lawyers that he has hired, many were concerned where this movement would go uh, post-election, post-inauguration uh, even. Uh, how alive is this movement? How much control power does he still have? One of the questions was, uh, and it was put, put to me several times, is what will... Trumpism survived Trump. As it turns out, mm. Trump isn't going anywhere. <laughs> he has absolutely command, apparently, over his party, or at least sufficiently so that uh, just a week or so ago, the party was divided, saying, you know, we have to, we have to move on from Trump. We need to basically purge ourselves of Trump 
in order to survive as the Republican Party, the institutional party that we've always known. And that seems to be fading. There now seems to be coalescing around Trump, and we've seen that in a variety of ways, including the impeachment, uh, and we'll probably talk about that right now. But right now it does appear as if the party still belongs predominantly to Donald Trump. We don't know where he wants to go with it. He's threatened to form a, a new party, the Patriot Party. Now he's saying, oh, no, I, I, I won't do that. That, of course, would divide the Republicans, and the Republicans will stay uh, divided going forward. Uh, the party is now, you know, we've talked about this, that Biden says, I'm here for the soul of the country, but now the question for the Republicans is the soul of the Republican Party with Donald Trump still being the primary factor, apparently, in scaring Republicans about their own primaries. Many, we saw many Republicans speak up or move away after the, the Capitol Hill riot or, or demonstration, what a protest, whatever you want to call it, uh, insurrection and, and, you know, condemn this. And, and even though that, you know, they, they continue to vote, uh, against, uh, Biden's confirmation and such. Uh, does it appear that the party, why is the party moving away from that? Is, is it realizing that Donald Trump has more power? than the actual party does? Apparently, uh, this is the division within the party. Uh, there is a representative, uh, Adam Kinziger, I believe, from Illinois, who's now forming a, a pack of his own, a, a, an action group of his own, to save the Republican Party, saying we cannot go down that path. We cannot, uh, we cannot be the, the party of Donald Trump. We have to be the Republican Party. It's going to be a fight within the party. We've seen this in remarkable ways where the ten, 10 Republicans who, in the House who supported the Democrats uh, earlier in, in getting this article of impeachment going forward, they're now, their own state parties are disavowing them. We have a situation, I guess it's Wednesday, the Republican Party is going to actually meet and decide if Liz Cheney, uh, who's their number three in the House leadership, and who was one of those who said Donald Trump led an insurrection and we can't have it, there, there's apparently a move to strip her of her party leadership position. Wow. And one of the Trump firebrands, a fellow from Florida, actually is going to Wyoming, and he's campaigning against her right now. There are now primary uh, challenges already emerging in just about every single uh, situation where Republicans oppose Donald Trump. So will this... <laughs> will this just will, will this this will just simply split the party in two? Will it not? Well, apparently not in two. <laughs> if it's it's apparently not a fifty-fifty split at yeah. the moment. At the moment, it does seem as if the Republican Party would be a rump uh, within a much broader uh, uh, Trump versus traditionalist. Uh, you know, the Mitt Romney. I was going to put Mitch McConnell in there, but he's uh, I, I, I wouldn't anymore. But uh, where is he in all of this now? Okay, but the the point is, is right now the the Trump Party is is the larger faction within the Republican right. Party. Where is Mitch McConnell? Mitch McConnell just got trampled by his own caucus in the Senate. He came out, as you know, and said these startling things. Uh, first yeah. of all, he broke with Trump and saying, "Yes, uh, Biden won this election, and we're going to we're going to confirm that." Trump didn't like that, and then he came out and said much stronger things about. Donald Trump let it he he let it be known that he didn't like the the insurrection that was led and that he was going to leave it open to the conscience of each member meaning Don Mitch McConnell himself might be open to actually voting against Trump 
on this forthcoming impeachment trial, but he just got he just got trampled by Rand Paul and others who are uh, putting together 45 out of 50, 45 out of the 50 Republicans in the Senate now have said we don't think this coming uh, impeachment trial is constitutional. We don't want it to even happen, and Mitch McConnell joined that. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So let's talk about Donald Trump's lawyers. Um, Apparently last week they quit. Now he has new ones. Why did the old ones, what happened to his initial lawyers? Which are extraordinary. These are are the lawyers for the President of the United States, recommended by Lindsey Graham, uh, to... uh, to defend the president in an impeachment trial, it's a trial in the Senate, all five of them, the entire team quit <laughs> a week before the, the impeachment uh, process was to get underway, the trial was to get underway in the Senate. I mean, this is an astounding fact, but also, as it turns out, probably irrelevant. What the, the, the story is that uh, Donald Trump said, yes, you're my lawyers, I want you to go on the floor of the Senate and say that the election was rigged, that I actually won, and there was just massive cheating. The same position he's taken for 77 days after the election, that Joe Biden isn't a legitimate president. <coughs> Apparently they said, no, Mr. President, that isn't the case at all. What we want to talk about is the constitutionality of holding this impeachment trial now. So he so- so does that mean does that mean that the new lawyers will in fact stand up and say exactly what he says or what he wants them to that it was a fraud it was fixed I suspect not uh, because if he does that he's taking away from his best argument that the republicans have already uh, laid out for him that it, this trial should not go ahead because it's unconstitutional and it's unconstitutional because the uh, the president's already out of power, and therefore the impeachment is moot. Article 1, Section 3, Clause 7 of the Constitution is what's in dispute. Uh, there's a Republican lawyer, a report, uh, I shouldn't put it that way, a lawyer who defended Trump in his first impeachment trial, who then briefed the Republicans not long ago, saying this uh, shouldn't go ahead because he's already been removed, so there, there's no basis for having an impeachment trial, because that's what it's for. And then 45 out of the 50 came forward. But he's um, people are being mean to him by digging up what he said uh, just after the Clinton after the Clinton impeachment trial, when he said exactly the opposite, that certainly an office holder can impeached can be impeached after they leave office. Otherwise, there's uh, no way for anybody to be held criminally responsible. They can just resign. <laughs> so he's, he's changed his position. The reason Donald Trump will probably now follow the procedural, the procedural uh, path that's been laid out for him by the Republicans, by Rand Paul and the others, is that he's bound to be acquitted. And without ever, ever having to face the actual charge and the charges that he uh, led an incitement to insurrection. Mm-hmm. He will not have to face Congress, apparently the, the Senate, in trial over that issue because the Republicans will let him go on procedural grounds. And even if he, if it did go that far, it doesn't look like there's the support for impeachment anyway. No, that's uh, the Democrats. Um, 
we should back up a little. What the Democrats are saying, and, and constitutional scholars have said all along, is that, yes, you can impeach a public official after they leave office, because otherwise they can never be held criminally responsible. All they have to do is resign, and they can't, no crime can ever be punished. And we also have precedent, they say, in the U.S. constitutional history in 18... It doesn't matter, 1876. So the, the, there was absolutely clearly in the minds of the framers, the originalists in the Republican Party should say, yes, the framers of the Constitution said, we can definitely impeach and convict somebody after they leave office, because then you can also pass a simple resolution saying they, they can never hold public office again. That's an integral part of the clause. Therefore, the intention is to... to uh, to say that this is a constitutional, not an unconstitutional act. But it looks as at the, at the moment as if it doesn't matter what Donald Trump's lawyers say. He doesn't even need a lawyer, as people are saying. He can, he can just go in there and... Uh, there was a historian who said, and read, read pages from the Joker himself, and uh, the Republicans will, will not convict him. So where do the Democrats go with this? Is it worth even heading down the path of impeachment, then? Oh, yes, especially absolutely. if they're not going to get the conviction from the Republicans? Uh, just as in the case of the first impeachment trial, uh, I think the Democrats have basically boxed themselves in. On uh, the first impeachment trial, they, they finally said, OK, we'll listen to the Republicans and everything and set the parameters. We won't look back to the Mueller report where there's ample evidence of obstruction of justice or anything else. We'll, we'll, we'll pin, it'll just be pinned on one phone call. And now the Democrats are saying, well, we will pin our entire case on one speech by the president. So even if it got beyond the procedural grounds and got to the incitement charge itself, it's unlikely they would carry. Now we're in the situation, <laughs> Scott, where the Democrats would kind of like to hurry this through. They can't convict him anyway. It's worth doing. It's worth putting on the record. Absolutely. There's going to be statements made for history you you'll it's still going to be a very dramatic trial uh, leading to a, a, apparently unless something new comes out uh, uh, there won't be a conviction but the, the, now the democrats want this out of the way so they can get on with governing joe biden has an agenda this is getting in the way so they will not listen to uh, representative clyburn of south carolina who said put it off for 100 days you don't have to have this trial now. Let us get underway. But they didn't, uh, they didn't follow that. So right now, the Democrats are not yet putting together a powerful case, and it won't carry in any event. Um, the, you know, from what I understood, the whole reason behind this, and, you know, and obviously going to need two-thirds of the Senate in order to convict uh, right. through impeachment, right. then a vote could be held and obviously, if they're already getting two thirds, they'd get fifty plus one to to uh, to make it so the president never ran again. Well, clearly, that's not going to happen. Is that accurate? Yes, that's what I was just trying to suggest. Yeah, that is so, accurate, and that's our current situation. Because so, could he run? He could. Do you do you think he's going to run again? We don't know what his plans are. I'm not sure he does. Remember, uh, the answer is yes, he can run again because it's two consecutive terms. Uh, in office, and anyway, he only had one. Right. He, he is the leading candidate for the Republicans, should he choose to, uh, at the moment, to run the, to get the nomination for 2024. Uh, we, however, don't know what's going to happen between now and then. 
Right now, the Republican Party is coalescing around him in significant ways, but other parts of the party are not. 2022 comes up more quickly. That's the congressional elections. If Donald Trump basically divides the Republican Party, so the Democrats do extraordinarily well in the congressional elections coming up in two years, we're, we're, that's, that's already on the horizon. If they do better in the House, and if they actually carry the Senate and, and get some new senators, because Donald Trump is a liability, then it's unlikely that the Republicans will want him to be on the ticket in 2024. Plus, he's got a lot of legal problems uh, for other, uh, for, uh, beyond this particular case. So, um, so, so you, you don't think, well, in your honest opinion, do you think he'll get a second kick at this can? Could we see that? It's an empirical question. I, I cannot make a prediction on that. Yeah. It looks to me as if, it looks to me as if what's happening right now is the Republican Party, by sticking with Donald Trump, and they are largely, by and large, staying with Donald Trump, they are putting themselves in jeopardy that the coalition that you saw that worked in Georgia, that is basically mm-hmm. the white suburbs and exurbs, the, and now they're no longer all the way white, aligning with black inner cities, that kind of coalition which carried Georgia. If Donald Trump carries on the way he is, remember he's supporting this QAnon, uh, <laughs> this QAnon representative who is from mm-hmm. Georgia. Uh, if he's carrying on the way he is, it could cement a re- new realignment in American politics so that the Democrats have a majority, uh, and what would keep them from winning would be the voter suppression tactics, which the Republicans are very busily engaging in right now. Wow. This is, uh, um, are you surprised at the direction this has gone post-inauguration? Um, are you surprised was, the direction the Republican Party has gone in post-inauguration? It's always an open question to me. Because uh, it was put to me several times by others that, that, oh, you know, once Trump is not there anymore and he's cut off from his Twitter feed and all that, support for him is going to fade away. They're, the Republicans will uh, start to drift away from him. And there is certainly a scramble for power. Uh, you saw that in the Senate for the people who now want to replace him as leader of Trumpism within the Republican Party. That's a lot of what's going on right now in the, in the politics of the Senate. But I always said, look, this is an open question. We don't know whether the Republican Party, and it wasn't just Trump who invented the kinds of positions that uh, that got him the White House. The Republican Party has been shifting to the right and the hard right and the conspiracy right for a long time and using racism and misogyny as a path to power. This is not all Republicans, obviously, but the, the party has been moving in that direction. Uh, he just was very, very good at it. It's a question now whether uh, the party wants to keep going that way, whether they're going to keep Trump to do it, uh, whether the Trump wannabes in the Senate, as you see in particular. Uh, we don't know whether the party will maintain its uh, its loyal to Trump and Trumpism if it starts to cost them electorally. Um, we, we've talked about this certainly in this country. Um, you know, here we're the way we're talking. It's just more and more extremism. Is there anybody in the United States that's looking for the center here? Yeah, Joe Biden ran. Yeah, <laughs> precisely on that. I will bring, I will bring normality and, and civility and decency, and I will also lead from the center. I, I will try to work across the aisle if I can. I'm a natural centrist. And I'm decent. Vote for me. 
And it was just barely enough, but it was enough to get him elected president. Elliot Tepper is with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. Boy, this story is never going to end, it seems, Elliot. Thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Uh, Thank you, and be well yourself. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.